You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. This episode is called Why Christadelphians Don't Vote or Participate in Politics. Loyalty to God requires that we, like Abraham, are strangers and pilgrims in this present life. We do not participate in politics or voting for human governments, which will be replaced by the Kingdom of God. Their humanistic policies are contrary to the scriptures that are our guide. Let us know what you think. God bless. A Christadelphian back in 2011 wrote this lament. He wrote, We are currently in the golden age of sin. Right is wrong, and wrong is right. The only real sin today is talking about sin. We have the perfect storm of humanism, evolution, and moral relativity in society around us. This has eroded our standards and brought about a moral and doctrinal laxity in our ecclesias. In an honest effort to become more loving and kind, we are now threatened by a dynamic of extreme tolerance. In that climate, the tolerance stand idle as people simply do as they please, but swiftly condemn anyone who judges doctrine and behaviour according to biblical standards. I think we can probably all empathise to some degree with that brother's lament and we're now eight years on from that. So right up front brothers and sisters and young people I want to make mention of why there are laments like that happening because some Christadelphians have in recent times voted and have boasted about that. They don't just quietly go down to the polling booth and vote, they go and vote and then boast about it on Facebook and this is going back to the 2000 federal election in Australia where that happened and I, 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 don't, I don't have Facebook but I've been told that these things happen. I've been shown the pages. And they voted, they said, for the Greens and proudly advertised it in Facebook. Now the Greens, of course, held the balance of power in the Senate at the time. They're a party of atheists. The Greens' political platform consists of a wide range of social issues including gay marriage, course I don't need to talk to you about their political platform, it's pretty well known. They epitomise strident and vocal anti-God sentiment in matters of biblical morality. How any Christadelphian could vote for them I don't know, but they do. So you can see how important it is, as our brother Luke said in his introduction, how important it is, especially for our young people, that they understand why Christadelphians don't vote and participate in politics. And that's what we're going to endeavour to do tonight. Now the world knows where we should stand. You can look up Wikipedia. Christadelphians refuse, they say, in Wikipedia to participate in any military and police forces because they are conscientious objectors. And we'll come to that matter of conscientious objection at the end of our talk tonight. This is the constitution of the Birmingham Christadelphian Central Ecclesia, of course, which forms the basis of most Christadelphian constitutions around the world. And doctrine to be rejected, number 35, states that we are at liberty, this is what we reject, that we're at liberty to serve in the army or as police constables, take part in politics or recover debts by legal coercion. So that's where the Christadelphian community has always stood. Right? But we have nowadays some problems that are occurring. We've got to go back to the basics. We've got to go back to the scripture. We've got to find out what it says about our position. So why is there a departure? Well, I want to talk briefly about why this is happening. It's happening because Christ said it was going to happen. In Revelation chapter 16 and verse 14, he spoke about the three unclean spirits like frogs. Those spirits, of course, we know came from the French Revolution. They were the spirits of liberty, equality and fraternity. And he says in that passage that they're the spirits of devils or demons as the word is. It's used of course that Greek word of madness, of insanity, 
of, of a, a, a large range of diseases. But also James uses the same Greek word in James chapter 3 and verse 15. He uses that word of confusion and every evil work. That's what this spirit does. Now, of course, we're talking here about an ideology, a way of thinking. And the way of thinking that came out of the French Revolution, liberty, equality and fraternity has done incredible damage to the moral framework of human society, which was once largely based upon biblical values. So this is why things are happening. There is this spirit sweeping through the world. It was going to go from top to bottom, from the kings of the earth to the whole habitable, said Christ in Revelation 16:14, from top to bottom, whether you are a ruler or one of those hoi polloi, you're going to be affected by it. And that's why he gave the warning in Revelation 16:15. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. So we've got to be on our guard that we don't let this spirit of the age in which we live overtake us. So what are humanist ethics? Well, let them, let them explain this in their own words. They say... We affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Ethics, they say, is autonomous and situational, needing no theological or ideological sanction. Ethics stems from human need and interest. To deny this distorts the whole basis of life. Human life has meaning because we create and develop our futures. Humanism, they say, is the, is the effort of men to think, to feel and to act for themselves and to abide by the logic of results. In each case, a new method is suddenly apprehended, tested and carried firmly to its conclusion. Listen to this statement. Authority, habit, orthodoxy are disregarded or defied. The argument is pragmatic, realistic, human. Yeah, it's very, very human. So what is humanism doing to society and, unfortunately, to our community? Well, its progress has been overwhelming in the world and there's a very strong tendency for us to acquiesce. It's a bit like the, the, the frog in the hot water syndrome. You've heard of that? If you take a frog, if you boil some water on the stove and you take a frog and you throw the frog into that hot water, guess what he does? He jumps out. But if you put the frog in the cold water and slowly heat the water up, guess what happens to the frog? He boils. All right? He cooks. Because it's a slow, gradual process. It's what's called the subtlety of Fabian socialism. Now, Fabian socialism was named after a gentleman in the Roman Empire called Quintus Fabius Maximus Vericosus. 280 to 203 BC, so it's a long time ago. But he created a very important principle which the humanists know is very effective. He was called the Delayer. And the Fabian Society is named after him, founded in 1884, adopting the tactics of Fabius, who was famous for elusive, gradual tactics in securing victory over superior forces. He avoided head-on clashes. Uh, he didn't want confrontation. He simply worked on the principle of gradualness and that's why the late Bob Hawke, who was, uh, who was uh, put in the ground this year, uh, made this comment back in 1984, second year of his prime ministership. He said, The classic concept of Fabianism, the inevitability of gradualness, represents an unchanging truth and a fixed principle of the Labor Party. I gladly acknowledge the debt my government owes to Fabianism. In other words, you don't do it all at once. You don't introduce all these changes to moral standards all at once. You just do it very gradually, little by little, by little, little here, a little there, and eventually people say, well, oh, everything's changed. Yes, but they didn't recognise it was changing. And that's what's happening, unfortunately, in the world and it's happening in our community as well. So is there an antidote to this, brothers and sisters and young people? Is there an antidote? Well, there is. And the antidote is faith. Faith 
is the quality of course which brings about in our lives change and it can maintain the change and we've got to make sure we keep our faith alive and well. So what this word faith is worth examining very briefly. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This very well-known passage about faith, the honour roll of Hebrews 11. The word faith that is used here is the word pistis in the Greek. It means persuasion, that is conviction of the truth of anything, therefore belief and moral conviction. There are 243 occurrences in the New Testament of that word. So how is faith developed? Well, we all know this passage. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God is going to, of course, be the obvious source of the message that we hope to set forth this evening. We're going to dig into the principles as to why Christadelphians don't vote and don't participate in politics and why our community has stood on that ground since its inception uh, in the 1800s. So if you're in Hebrews chapter 11, let's have a look at verse 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word substance is this word on the screen you can see, hypostasis. It means a setting under, a support, a foundation which gives confidence. And Brother Thomas translates this particular passage this way. Faith is the confident anticipation of things hoped for, a full persuasion of things not seen. Which is largely supported by the translations, by the way. The RV says, giving of substance to things hoped for. So when we talk about the things that are coming upon the earth and we see fulfilled Bible prophecy, we have absolute confidence from what we've seen in the past, the evidence of the past, that the future too will come to pass. It gives substance to the things that cannot be seen with the human eye. The word evidence here is a word that means logical proof, a demonstration or a convincing argument. And Brother Thomas's translation, I think, is really good when he says this. At least his comment on, on this verse is this. He says, faith is reality and proof. The person who has it embraces certain things promised as realities and certain transactions as things proved. Now, if you've got this kind of faith, it's going to please our God because when you come to verse 6 of this chapter, we read this. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now there are two things here, two critical things in relation to faith. The first is a conviction that God actually exists. And when it says here in the King James, must believe that he is, that's just the one Greek word, esti, it means to be. So the RSV I think is pretty good. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. That's the first principle. But there's a second thing that's critical as well and that's this, that he rewards those who seek him. Now I know people who have had conviction and yet they've chosen not to live out their convictions because you see they don't have that second critical element. The second critical element is that you must also believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there are two important things when it comes to faith. So this little section of, of Hebrews is, is fundamental to what Christadelphians are all about. And it goes on to talk about diligence, doesn't it? Diligently seek him. And that word means to seek out, to investigate, to scrutinise. So there's, there's activity there, there's, there's effort involved in that. And that effort, of course, has got to be put in to our study of the Word of God. So that's the introduction to what I want to talk about tonight. So why is it that Christadelphians don't vote and participate in politics? Well, because they've got faith. And that faith creates in them something that the Apostle Peter mentioned in that reading that was done for us in 1 Peter 
chapter 2. So come with me to the first of Peter chapter 2. We're going to pick this up from verse 11 of the first of Peter chapter 2. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And then he goes on to talk about our behaviour amongst the people around us. Verse 12. Having our conversation, or your conversation, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, you'll be criticised for your religion, he says. They'll, they'll make nonsense of you. They'll, they'll poke fun at you. Well, yeah, expect that. They'll speak against you as evildoers, but they may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So what's, what's he saying here? Well, we need to ask ourselves whether or not we can truly call ourselves pilgrims and strangers, because this is the key element as to why Christadelphians do not participate in the politics of the world around them. Does our pilgrim status square with voting in political elections, leave alone military service? Well, of course it doesn't. So what about this word strangers that is used here in verse 11. It's the Greek word poikos. There are four occurrences of this word in the New Testament. And it means a stranger or a foreigner, one who lives in a place without the right of citizenship. Now that's straight out of Grimthea's Greek lexicon. That's what that Greek word meant. So that when the brethren read this epistle from the Apostle Peter... They understood him to say, you might belong to a certain country. Let's say they lived in Greece. You might live in Greece as we live in Australia, but you're not actually a citizen. Well, of course I'm a citizen. I've got an Australian passport. Yes, I've got an Australian passport. I'm a citizen of Australia. But in actual fact, I'm a citizen of another commonwealth. And we're going to talk about that tonight. If you're baptised into Christ, you're a citizen of another commonwealth. You're actually an alien in this land. All right? You're an alien. You're a stranger. You do not have the rights of citizenship. Now, you might say, but hang on. Doesn't he then go on to say in verse 13 onwards, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake? In other words, he's saying obey the rules of the road, don't speed. You know, don't do the things that the law is against. True. He goes on to talk about giving respect. Look at verse 17. Honour all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the king. Yeah, so we've got to give, show respect. And of course we know the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13 makes it very clear. But it's God who's put in place the rulers of the, of the lands where we live. And he's done that for good reasons. And we need to respect those rulers and we need to obey the laws, except where those laws contravene the law of God. Yeah, so we act like citizens. We should be model citizens of Australia, but we're not actually citizens of Australia if we're baptised into Christ. We're citizens of another commonwealth. Our politics is in heaven, says the Apostle, and we'll come to that in due time. So this is the, this is the very basis of why we don't participate in politics. It's about our allegiance to another commonwealth other than the country where we might happen to live. What about this word pilgrims here in verse 11? Well, the word pilgrims is parapodinos. It means one who comes from a foreign country into a city or land to reside there by the side of the natives. Now, we're not talking about, you know, the natives that were here before the English came. We're talking about the people who live in the country. They're the native Australians, okay? So we've come in, into Christ, you become a pilgrim and a stranger. And to be a pilgrim, you're like someone who's come from a foreign country and you reside beside the native people of the land. Now, that is the biblical position of those who are in Christ. And, of course, we have an example 
We have some very good examples in scripture of people who were exactly like this. You see, there are three occurrences of this Greek word in the New Testament. And one of them is in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. So I want you to come back to Hebrews 11. And it occurs towards the end of verse 13. Now I'm going to analyse with you verse 13 of Hebrews 11. It's a very important verse in relation to this subject. It's talking, of course, about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob who have been the subject of the previous verses. They're the subject of verse 13. The three patriarchs. These all died in faith and not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So there's our word, pilgrims. Remember what what it meant? Someone who's come from a foreign land and lives beside the natives. Doesn't have any citizenship, lives beside those who live in that land. Now there's a process here, brothers and sisters and young people, that can make you a pilgrim and a stranger and you don't get this status in God's sight until you go through this process and it's inherent here in the language that is used in this verse there are three important verbs in this verse they are the word persuaded the word embraced and the word confessed and the curious thing about these three Greek verbs is that they have a different voice and that's important. Now, in, a, in the English language, which is, of course, is a hybrid language soon to disappear from the earth when Christ reigns, in the English language we have active voice and passive voice. The active voice is when you are the doer of the action, like I am speaking to you. The passive voice is when you're the receiver of an action. So you're listening to what I'm saying. I'm speaking, active voice. You're listening, Passive voice. Got that? In the Greek, there's a middle voice. In the Greek, the middle voice means that you're both the doer and the receiver of the action. So if I got rid of all of you out of this hall and I was talking to myself, I'd be using the middle voice. I would be talking to myself. Doer and receiver. Got the picture? Well, these three verbs that are used here are used deliberately by the Spirit. See what it says there, that these patriarchs, having seen the promises far afar off by their faith, they were persuaded of them. That's in the passive voice. They were the recipients of another's actions. I wonder who that was. Well, it was God who called Abraham out of Ur, the Kurdish, remember? and repeated that promise to him again in Haran. It was God who educated Abraham. It was God who built faith into Abraham. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing. And where does that hearing come from? From the word of God. That's an activity of God. We are the receivers of his action. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. I'm not a Christadelphian because I was some wise-born child that suddenly decided, well, the truth's the truth. I'm a Christian because the Bible was taught to me. And when you're taught the truth, you're the receiver of someone else's actions. It's an action of God. But what happens then? Look what it says. And embrace them. Now that word embraced, the Greek word means to enfold in the arms. And it happens to be in the middle voice. So when you're taught the truth, can anybody make you put your arms around it and make it your own? Can anybody else do that for you? Your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister? No. That's a decision you make. You want to throw your arms around this that you've been taught? You make that decision. Nobody else can do it for you. Middle voice. What about the next thing? What do you do then? And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And this word confessed, homologio, means to assent, 
to covenant, to acknowledge. It actually talks about, there's logos in there, it's got the idea of speaking, right? Putting something out there. So it's, it's in the active voice, which means that you are the doer of the action. So God teaches. You accept and embrace. And then what he expects of you is that you'll live your life thereafter as a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You ought to do that. You ought to make choices. But you can't do it unless that process has been in place. And this is where the wheels are falling off. They're falling off because parts of that process have not been undertaken properly. Improper education in the truth where people don't really understand what the implications of coming into the truth mean to them. We have a responsibility to make sure that those who are brought in amongst us and our children are educated in the right way, that they can make the right choices, that they can throw their arms around the things of the truth and live their lives as strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Let's examine just briefly what that meant to Abraham. Come back with me to Genesis 23. Genesis 23, we have, of course, Abraham burying Sarah. Don't anybody tell you that they were separated, by the way. Because when people read the King James Version of Genesis 23 and verse 2, and they read the words that Abraham came to mourn for Sarah, some have said, well, there you are, they were separated. Nonsense. The word came should be rendered went in. He came out of his tent and came into Sarah's tent. She was dead. So it became necessary for him to bury her. But where is he going to bury her? He's a stranger and a pilgrim in the land of Canaan. He doesn't own any land. So he's got to find a place to bury Sarah. So what does he do? Well, he goes to the men of the place. Verse 3 we read, And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger. Look at these words. This is what Paul's quoting in Hebrews. I am a stranger and a sojourner with you, give me a possession of a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Now that word stranger in the Hebrew, ger, G-E-R, means a temporary inhabitant, a newcomer lacking inherited rights. Now that's brown driver bricks based on Jacinius's lexicon. So that's, that's what the Hebrew word means. A newcomer to the land lacking inherited rights. So what has Abraham got to do? Well, he's got to buy some, a plot of land. And we know what he does. He buys that field with the cave of Machpelah. The word sojourner here, Toshab, that's the only occurrence of that Hebrew word in the Old Testament, means that, a sojourner, a stranger, or a resident alien. This is exactly where the New Testament teaching is coming from. So in verses 5 to 16, Abraham declines the free gift that's offered to him by the local inhabitants. He insists on paying for a plot and we know there's a principle behind that because Stephen in his defence in Acts 7 verse 5 makes the point that Abraham only ever got a piece of the land for burial purposes by purchase. He never got the land by the promised inheritance being given to him. He's still waiting for that. And he's not going to get it, says the Apostle, until you and I are there with him to get it. All right? That's given by promise, not by purchase. So there's the principle. He didn't have any ownership rights really in that land. He had to buy a place to bury his dead. That's why we read in Hebrews 11:13 those wonderful words. They confessed by their actions and by their words, as we've read in this chapter. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. That's the fundamental principle as to why Christadelphians do not participate in local politics because they're not part of that society. They're not part of that system. They belong to a different system. They are aliens in the land in which they live. Now, listen to what a brother from America said on this subject, Brother Paul Zilmer, a little while back, about faith and politics being incompatible. Under the ordinances of men, aliens very properly have no right to vote or otherwise participate 
in the politics of their host country. Pretty obvious. One would expect them to act in the interest of the country of their citizenship. And these may well conflict with the interests of the nation in which they reside as aliens. Thus men acknowledge the truth of Jesus' teaching that no man can serve two masters. Matthew 6.24 Divided loyalty is of no use to anyone. And this is especially true of the believer. Now that puts it in its right context, doesn't it? We cannot mix ourselves up. We have a loyalty and an allegiance to someone else apart from the leaders of the country in which we live. Come to Philippians chapter 3. It's quite useful when you're considering this subject to make a few little notes in your margin to the meaning of certain words that are used here. You see this word conversation. Now, conversation means talking with people in the English language of today. We want to have a look at that word. So in Philippians 3 verse 20, we read this. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is coming to change our bodies of humiliation in the next verse. Now, the word conversation here in the Greek is polytuma. It's the only occurrence of this Greek word in the New Testament. So the Spirit has isolated this word in this context. It's the word, one of the Greek words, we get our word politics from. This is where the English word politics comes from. So what's he saying? Well, the word in the Greek meant the constitution of a commonwealth a form of government and the laws by which it is administered, hence citizenship. You, you could use the word politics, couldn't you? Our politics is in heaven, so it's not on earth. Our politics is in heaven. And we're expecting the arrival of the king of the new era for this world, the kingdom of God. So we can't give any allegiance to any other form of politics. It can only be to him. And we're going to build upon that subject. Now a related word is used back in Philippians chapter 1. Just come back to Philippians 1 verse 27. Now if you look at the screen you'll see in the yellow the two words here. They're very similar, aren't they? They're different Greek words, but you can actually see there's, there's a very close similarity between these words. This one's a noun, this one's a verb. And the Apostle says in Philippians 1 verse 27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That's all we really need to read, isn't it? This word means to behave as a citizen, to conduct oneself as pledged to some law of life. Now, I mean, who... Who needs to be told that this is what the Lord was talking about in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24? This is what he was talking about. No man can serve two masters. And that word masters there is kurios. It means he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. Therefore, he is a master, a Lord. So who's got power of deciding in your life? Well, Christ. We are governed by the law of Christ. So he's the one who's the master. Can you serve anybody else other than him? Of course not. So the matter is put away, isn't it? It's, we could say no more. The matter is put away. It's all about allegiance. To whom is your allegiance to be given? But we're not going to put it away just there. We're going to talk about the practicalities of this. We're all familiar with this passage in Daniel 4.17. We're seeing a lot of this happening in our world today, in the, in the events, the fulfilment of Bible prophecy. We're seeing the activity of the angels. In Daniel 4.17 we read, This matters by the decree of the watchers, they're God's eyes, who run to and fro through the earth, we read in, in the book of Chronicles. And the demand of the, by the word of the holy ones, this is the activity of the angels, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will, 
and setteth up over it the basest of men. Anybody in this room would have voted for Donald Trump. What about Boris Johnson? I mean, look at it. Look, look at the leaders that we've got. Why are they there, brothers and sisters and young people? Because God put them there. That's why. Why? To fulfil his purpose. Would you have voted for them? Well, you see, we don't know who to vote for, do we, in this world's order? Because we don't know what God is going to do with these people. How can we possibly know who God wants in power at any given time? Today it can be a Donald Trump and tomorrow it can be someone else. Totally different. Because he needs them for his purpose. We don't know. Would we have voted for Hitler? in 1933 when he became Chancellor of Germany. Well, a lot of Germans did. Well, God actually voted for Hitler. Yeah. Jeremiah 16 tells us, I will send you many hunters. Yeah. God put Hitler in power to get the Jews back to their land. Would you have voted for him? Probably not, but God did. So the point I'm making is this. We don't know. We simply do not know who God wants in power in any given time or place. We leave that entirely to the activity of the angels because they're fulfilling the purpose of God. We are strangers and pilgrims. We owe allegiance to no one else but God and his Son. We are in a citizenship, a commonwealth, the kingdom of God, which is not, not in existence at present, but is coming. And when it comes, we'll be part of it. We have no part in the politics of today. We lose sight of that, we will do foolishly as some are doing in our community. Well, I want to extend this a little bit from participation in politics as to where that ultimately leads. There was a brother in Germany in the 1930s called Albert Mertz, a Christadelphian, Albert Mertz. He was put to death by the Nazis. He refused to fight in the Wehrmacht. You want to read his letters to his family. He stood up. I mean, it was awful, absolutely awful what they did to those who opposed them. But he stood up for his beliefs. He was a stranger and a pilgrim. He was not going to take arms, up arms for Hitler and he died for his faith. That's in the 1930s. Think about that. So the subject of Christadelphians and war. We ask this question, brothers and sisters and young people. Are Christadelphians pacifists? The answer is no. We are not pacifists. The servants of God will do whatever God and Christ require of them as the angels do. Matthew 6, verse 10. Thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. So if Christ was to command us to do anything, we would do it. And we, we know he's going to not, not going to ask us to do anything that would be against God's will. In Acts 5.29, we have the principle expressed. We ought to obey God rather than men. So force and violence are forbidden for us now because Christ has commanded that we use no force or violence. However, the scriptures are very clear about the warlike role of the saints in setting up the kingdom of God in the future. So I want to go through a couple of passages in relation to that because you see this is the citizenship, this is the kingdom to which we are related. We are citizens of this heavenly kingdom which is coming to the earth to be restored. Which is why the apostles asked the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1. Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said, well, you're right, it will be restored, but it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has in his own power. So Christ's kingdom is a restoration of the old kingdom of Israel, which was, of course, became defunct in the times of Zedekiah. Its restoration was to be in the future at a time known only to God, known, of course, now by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He received that information when he arrived at the right hand of the Father because he had to marshal the angels to bring it to pass. So he knows it now. But what did he say in the presence of Pilate? In John 18.36 we read what he said. 
When Pilate said to him, asked him the question, Are you a king then? This is what he said. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, and the word world there is cosmos, this order of things, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. What's he saying, brothers and sisters? He's saying that when the time for his kingdom comes to be established, his servants will fight. We're not pacifists. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. That kingdom at present is in the presence of the Father and the Son, incipiently in him. He's the king and when he comes he will establish that kingdom. That's why we read passages of scripture like this, Psalm 149, verses 5 to 9. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Couches it means, they don't need to sleep of course when they're immortal. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Reference here is not to a literal sword like some people use on the streets of Melbourne. All right? The, the reference here is to the sword of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit that the angels now use to execute vengeance upon the nations and punishments upon the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honour have all his saints. Praise you, Yahweh. Now, that's our future, brothers and sisters, and it's a future spelled out all over the scriptures. Take Malachi chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. That word grow up there that's in the green is the Hebrew word push and it means to spring about, to frisk. Rotherham says to leap for joy. So there will not be any neutral Christadelphian in that day who will say, but Lord, uh, I don't like uh, seeing people punished and, and hurt. Can I stand aside? No. All right? There'll be no pacifists amongst the servants of our God in that day. They'll be involved in the setting up of the kingdom. But what about today? Yeah, I can have no part. I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. This is not my time. This is not my place. I'm an alien. I owe allegiance to the king who sits at the right hand of Almighty God and I'm waiting for him. And when he comes, I'll do whatever he asks me to do to set up the kingdom of God. That's where true Christadelphians stand. It's totally different, isn't it, to the Christian community around us. Totally different. And we need to understand it and to be involved in it. It's all a question of conscience, allegiance and loyalty. Servants of Christ cannot have a divided allegiance. We either serve God or man. Pilgrim status excludes the politics of men. So in a final summary of this matter, let me read to you the words of a statement made by the brethren in England in 1941 when they were under pressure to join the non-combatant service. Now you remember in 1940 was the Battle of Britain. 45,000 Brits killed in the bombings of the Battle of Britain. Do you think that the people of that society would be tolerant with the brethren who said we can't be involved in this war? Do you think they would have enjoyed having a neighbour like that? Well, you see, the pressure was on the brethren to join into non-combatant service. So what's wrong with being a fireman putting out the fires of Hitler's bombs? What's wrong with driving an ambulance or picking up the, the, the wounded from the streets? I mean, that's kindness, isn't it? Yeah, so there was pressure on them to join in non-combatant service. This was their response. And it underlines what we've been saying here tonight. This is the principles that governed our brethren in Britain. They said this, 
We cannot submit to be bound in an organisation where conscience is not free. If one chooses non-combatant service, most acts make him liable, the acts here is acts of parliament, make him liable for all or any of the duties of the defence forces. Furthermore, he would be under military discipline and be required to obey every lawful order in the civil defence forces as in the army a lawful order may very often be an unlawful one to the servant of Christ. Freedom of conscience is denied. Resignation is impossible. The position is therefore untenable for any true saint. Well said. Well said from our brethren prior to the Second World War, during the Second World War. They stood their ground, brothers and sisters, because they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth and their citizenship was in heaven and they would obey nobody except Christ. They would obey the laws of the land except when they contravene the laws of God but they will obey nobody when it comes to matter of conscience but Christ. That's where we need to be. So what can we do to go back, to return to our fundamentals? Most of us, of course, quite sound on these matters. But as you saw, not everybody in our community is and we need our young people to understand why we take the position we do. What can we do about this? Well, as I said, we've got to understand first and foremost our status as, as pilgrims and strangers that we cannot be involved in politics. And we must also, brothers and sisters and young people, understand what is in human nature. There is no good thing in it. And I try to give advice to people who are struggling, go back to our fundamentals. Go back to Elpis Israel Part 1. If you haven't read Elpis Israel Part 1 in recent times, I recommend it to you because Brother Thomas in that section of Elpis Israel sets out all the fundamental principles of Genesis 1, 2 and 3. They're the foundations upon which the whole of the truth is built. We need to understand those things. We need to teach our young people those things. We also need to be aware of the many challenges facing our community in the latter days. It's crucial to understand what's going on. And we must appreciate the purpose of our calling. We're not called to be part of this world. We're called to manifest the glory of our God and the character of our God. We're, we're called to do his will as best we can. And finally, everything depends on maintaining our faith and our steadfastness to the end. And that's the advice of the Apostle Paul. Wonderful passage of scripture. So let's conclude with an Acts chapter three, Acts chapter twenty, verses verse thirty-two, in which the Apostle, in his final message to the Ephesian brethren, gives a message that is very relevant for today. Acts chapter twenty and at verse thirty-two. And now, brethren, I commend you to God. What does that mean? You have been commended to God? What does it mean? The word commend there, in the Greek, paratothemi, means to place alongside, to present in the presence of. What's he saying? He's saying, work on your personal relationship with your Father in heaven. And that depends upon two things. It depends upon your reading and meditation upon the word of God and upon prayer. God speaks to you through his word. You speak back to him through prayer. That's what he means. Now how do I know that? I just read on. What does he say? And now brethren I commend you to God and, notice this, and to the word of his grace. He could have just said to his word, couldn't he? He doesn't. He says to the word of his grace. What does that mean? It means that if you make the effort to get into his presence and you have this two-way communication, you will receive his grace. That's what he means. That's the outcome of it, brothers and sisters and young people. 
The grace of God is extended. He works in your life. He forgives your failings if you're genuine and you want to overcome them. That's his grace. It's a powerful thing. And then he goes on to say this, which is able. That's an unfortunate translation. Because the Greek word there is dynamis, dynamic, powerful. It's powerful to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. And who are these sanctified ones? They're the strangers and the pilgrims on the earth who are waiting for the culmination of their citizenship and their part in the kingdom of God. True followers of Christ cannot participate in present day politics. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.